Open with me, if you would, your Bibles, and let's look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. I believe we're going to finish next week on this, uh, this epistle. We're not going to finish tonight, but um, probably next Wednesday we'll finish up. And I want you to, to read with me, starting in verse 10. Now, we talked about verse 10 last week, but I just want to pick up there and we move on through that uh, Peter has been... He started out the epistle talking to the, the saints and the, the other fellow believers. Then he moved into the false prophets. We spent a lot of time on that in chapter 2. And then he moved to the beginning of chapter 3 to the scoffers, right? Where is the promise of His coming? And, and it says that that was, that was going to be a sign for the end times. <clears throat> These scoffers and mockers. Now he's going back and fixing his attention at the end of his epistle. The last thing that Peter wrote before the Lord called him home is this right here in this chapter. He turns his attention back to the saints of God and to the people of God. So let's pick this up in verse 10 and we'll read through verse 14. It says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then, this is new ground that we're covering tonight, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. So the, the man of God gives a charge. Really, it's a charge. And we'll finish it next week and, and finish this if that's God's will. But He's given them a charge in light of. And, and really, that is the message for believers really for all time. In light of this Word of God in light of what God says about us and about Himself and about the future of the world and everything in light of coming judgments like the great white throne judgment and the judgment seat of Christ for believers. In light of all of this, it comes back to, okay, now what? You've showed me this, Lord, but now what? What am I to do with what You've showed me? And shown me, and he says that he is a calling. There's a charge for the people of God to be holy in all manner of conversation and godliness. And so, and, that, and he's saying it's in, in light of this, seeing that all these things, verse 11, shall be dissolved. And remember, in verse 10, he's making it sure to us that we understand the, the scoffers scoff and the mockers mock, right? And they say, "Where's the promise of his coming?" And they ridicule and they laugh. And it's just like in the days of Noah. They didn't believe and they ridiculed and mocked until the flood came. And it came suddenly. We talked about that last week. Right up until the very day when the, the fountains of the deep broke forth and it rained, the windows of heaven opened and it rained. And then it was too late. And so it's not going to catch us by surprise. And the whole day of the Lord and the day of God that He's talking about. Remember we talked about this last week. It's not one specific moment. If you see in Isaiah, a day of the Lord. In Isaiah, another day of the Lord. Uh, the day of the Lord is, remember we said, any time that God supernaturally steps in and intervenes 
in the affairs of men, to re redirect a course or to bring a sudden judgment. This would be a day of the Lord. There was a day of the Lord for Babylon. There's a day of the Lord for Assyria. There's a day of the Lord for certainly what Peter's talking about. Remember, he's not talking about one specific thing, just like the rapture. He's talking about all of it sort of lumped together. And then when he's talking about the earth being dissolved and, and the works that are therein being burned up with a fervent heat, he's, he's obviously he's talking about the refining of this earth. This planet that we're standing on right now is not going to be the planet that continues through eternity. This planet we're standing on now uh, actually, at the end, we know the order of events. There's going to be a rapture of the church. That's the next event on God's time timetable. There's nothing preventing it other than the timing of the Lord. There's no sign that has to be filled. You know, like Jesus, uh, the birth of Jesus, there were many prophecies that had to be fall in place. And then He came in fulfillment of those prophecies. But as far as the rapture of the church, there's no prophecies that have to be fulfilled. Don't forget that the apostles were looking for the rapture in their day. <coughs> Peter was looking for the rapture. Paul was looking for the rapture. And he was telling the believers in those churches to be ready and to be looking. It's the blessed hope for the church of the church. It's imminent. That word imminent means the rapture can happen at any moment. It's just hanging. And when God says, go get your church, the Lord's going to come get His church in the clouds. Alright? That will set in motion... This, all these end times events that, that the Bible talks about and is spoken a lot of in, in Isaiah, speaks of the millennium. Uh, certainly in the book of Revelation, we see it detailed out in Daniel. Uh, here in, in First and Second Thessalonians, there's a lot of places where it's laid out in Matthew 24. But what's going to happen is the rapture and then it's just the dominoes start falling right after, if not immediately, uh, I don't know of a, a verse that says that the day the rapture happens that the, the tribulation starts. But uh, we do see it's right on the heels of it. And it would make sense as well that it would be right on the doorstep. The rapture takes place and the world's in chaos and someone's going to step in, a world-type leader, and it will be the spirit of Antichrist. He'll be revealed halfway through. But there's a seven literal seven-year a tribulation period that follows shortly after the rapture. It ends with the second coming of the Lord. He came the first time as a baby in the manger to die on the cross. He's coming the second time to rule with the rod of iron. And uh, he, will, he will reign on this earth as this earth is now. I'm sure it will be during that thousand year period. It will be a thousand year reign. And we, the, the saints of God, will have already been raptured will come trailing the Lord on His white horse back to the earth for the battle of Armageddon. And this, that's the second coming is at the battle of Armageddon. And then it's a one-day battle where all these forces that are lined against, uh, against Jerusalem and the people of God and ready to squash it out like a little bug. And the Lord comes back and He deals with it. Okay? And then starts a millennial the millennial reign of Christ, it'll be on this earth. Now I would think during that thousand years that the Lord is, and we as His people will be reigning and ruling. I don't know if the earth itself is going to be patched up, fixed up, or however during that time, but I do know that the end of the millennium is what Peter is talking about specifically when he says that 
the heavens shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt, verse 10, with fervent heat and the earth also and, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. This is going to be at the end of the millennium when the earth, remember we looked at it when the elements melt with fire. Elements, you look it up and it's speaking of the atoms, the molecules, the most basic uh, building blocks of matter. They're going to be cleansed and changed and, and melted. They're going to be, I don't know how that's going to happen, but it's a fervent heat. First judgment was with a flood in Noah's day. This judgment is going to be a judgment of fire and it will be purged, so to speak, with fire. And, and then when it's done, then that's going to be, uh, there's going to be this new heaven, this new earth, and the new Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven. We're going to read about that tonight because we, we touched on that in, in verse uh, 13. And so the Bible tells us, the, the key is here, what I want us to see tonight, what I believe the Lord would have us and the people of God to know from this passage is that it says that seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, that means they're going to pass away. They're going to pass away. Remember, they're not going to be annihilated to where they cease to be. They're going to pass from one state to another, from one form to another. And we read the scripture from the Psalms that, that the earth's going to wax old like a garment. You're going to change it like you would change your clothes. You know, like you pull off uh, your vesture like a coat. You're going to change things. The creation is going to be changed. And so in light of that, what manner of persons ought you? And he's speaking to the believers, not the scoffers. He's not speaking to the false prophets. He's speaking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's saying in light of that, what manner of persons ought you to be? And he answers it in the question, in all holy conversation and godliness. And so... It says in 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 17, you know, it talks about all that's in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It's all of the world and not of God. It's not of the Father. And he goes on to say, and the world passes away. And I believe this is what he's talking about. But John was talking about a similar thing. It passes from one form to another. It's going to pass away. Okay? And all the works therein are going to be burned up. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. It's simply a question of, y'all, and, and it's something we need to preach to ourselves continually. We need to remind ourselves it's a matter of, it, it's a matter of living for time or for eternity. It's living for the temporal or for the eternal. He's, he's, he's telling us this in this passage. Are we going to live for what's perishing or what's permanent? You see that, right? This is, this is, we know it to be true. We could write sermons and, you know, little pamphlets and leaflets and little poems and songs about it. But to live that way constantly day by day takes a continual reminding of this. And remember, Peter says, I'm going to stir up your minds in way of remembrance of these things. So we're reminding ourselves of this. And I'll just read the scripture. We know it. 2 Corinthians 4.18, if you're taking notes. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. How do you look at things that are not seen? This is what he's telling us to do. While we look at the things that are, which are, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. It has to be a gaze of the heart or the soul on the Lord by faith. It has to be a look of faith. 
That's how we see these things. That's how we know these things to be true. For the things which are seen, that's what the worldling sees. That's what we see when we're just functioning in our carnality. And that's all that the world sees, okay? The things which are seen are temporal, are temporary, okay? But the things which are not seen are eternal. And this is what we have to remind ourselves over and over and over again. Again, we know the passage, but I want you to turn. Uh, we'll go back to Peter, but look at Hebrews 11, verse 24. This to me is almost one of the, like, like these, this, almost a perfect example Okay, of this mindset of what we're talking about. Hebrews eleven twenty four. By faith Moses, when he was come to, into years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You have to remember what his eyes were looking at at that time. Egypt was the world power at that time. It was, it was the kingdom of all kingdoms at that time when Moses was living there. And he was raised in that that family, that royal family of the Pharaohs, that would have been his. That life would have been his. That's the temporal. That's what he's looking at. And as far as the glory of men on the earth, there was nothing more glorious than Egypt at that time. There would be other empires that would come and go like Babylon. But at this time, it was Egypt. He refused to be the, called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he made a choice. Choosing rather... To suffer affliction. Wow, he's choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see what you're talking about here? What's, what's being stressed to us, there's time and eternity. There's temporal and temporary and there's eternal. And there infinitely, uh, eternity is of infinite more value because it's eternity. You understand what I mean? It's forever and ever. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. That's what the scoffer doesn't realize, right? The scoffer doesn't see it. They can. They can be born again. Lost people don't see it. They can. When I was lost, I didn't see it. Okay? But they can be. But they don't see it. They can think about it, but they don't really see it. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. It was like by faith. That's how it started in verse 24. In faith, this was in his heart. It was in his mind. He was seeing this God, Jehovah. He was seeing the rewards that come for no that come with knowing God and living for God in this life. You understand? He saw it. By faith, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And that's, that's just a faith. It's a look of faith. It's no different from Moses than us in the sense of faith. Okay? He believed. And Abraham believed God. Old Testament saint, it was counted unto him for righteousness. And this is what, what the man of God and what the Holy Spirit is leading us to. This is what he's speaking to the people of God. And we need to understand that. And our, our call is one. And again, it's all through the Bible. It's Old Testament. It's New Testament. This is not an Old Testament thought when it speaks about uh, what kind of persons we ought to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Now, we've talked about this uh, before 
in, in our study in 1 Peter specifically, and we'll look at a few verses, but conversation. That's the, that's the King James word. If you have another translation of the Bible, it may use a different word like conduct, conduct, behavior, lifestyle. But just picture what it means. Holiness is not some theory. Holiness is not just a religious word for, uh, for someone that stands in the pulpit or, or, or you know, represents God to people or something like that. Holiness is, in a sense, is very practical. When we're born again, and the, the Holy Ghost lives in us, and we've been born of His Spirit, Christ is in us, the Holy Spirit. The call now is not to be saved. The call now for saved people is to be holy in our conduct, holy in our thinking, holy in our actions and reactions, uh, bearing much fruit of the Spirit. I would look, put all this together in holy conversation and godliness. How do we act? How do we think? How do we react? Uh, what's our patience like? Uh, our Christ-likeness. And that's the key. From the day that the Lord saves us to the day He calls us home, He's the potter and we're the clay, and He's making us into a specific thing. He's not making us look like a duck decoy. All right, He's not making us look like a totem pole. He's carving us. He's, he's fashioning us the clay not to be a vase. It's to be uh, Christ. It's to be in the image of His Son. We all still physically are the same on the outside. He's given us individual personalities and things like that. But the root of it would be the fruit of the Spirit. The Christ-likeness. The loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind. Loving our neighbor as ourselves. But that's worked out in very practical ways, isn't it? Like we've been talking about giving on the last couple of Sunday mornings. It's worked out in... Am I, am I trusting God to give okay, uh, to the church or, or give of my finances or give of my time? Uh, surrendering all to the Lord. Might lose my friends if I, if I really take a stand for Christ. It's, it's played out in real practical ways. Real practical ways. And the Lord, uh, he, He's more than enough to hold us and to keep us. I want to look at a couple of Scriptures here. I want you to turn with me to 1 Peter. Chapter 1, let's start reading in verse 13. 1 Peter 1, 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about future things. We talked about the revelation of Jesus Christ. That could be the rapture when He's revealed to us. Uh, it, it could be uh, the second coming, probably the second coming when He comes back. Either way, it's speaking about end times things when we're going to see the Lord face to face and He's telling us to be sober. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as He which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. That is quoted from Leviticus. It's quoted from an old... Testament passage, but is requoted here in the New Testament for us. Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. A sojourner is one that's passing through. He's not a permanent resident. Okay? We're pilgrims. We're strangers and pilgrims and sojourners. 
and we're sojourning to a very specific place. Anybody ever read Pilgrim's Progress or know anything about it? He's going from one place. Uh, he's going from one place to a very specific place. He's not all over the place. Passes through a lot of things getting there, but he's going to one place, and God gets him there through trials and adversities and temptations and everything else. He gets there. God is going to get us there. Amen. He's going to get us there, but he tells us to pass our time with a godly fear. When you and I are tempted to do something, we have both a love for God and a fear for God. It's not either or. They're both present and they're both supposed to be there. If you love me, keep my commandments, right? Fear the Lord and keep his commandments, the Bible also says. And so there's a fear of the Lord and we pass our time of sojourning here in a sober manner. That just means serious-minded. Does it mean we don't laugh and have fun or not joyful? Absolutely not. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, right? And, and rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. But our, our, our life is not one that's just... Uh, it's not one that's just careless. The life of a believer is not a careless life. It's very ordered. It's very direct. I'm going from here to there. Well, come over here and do this with us. No, I'm sorry... I'm going from here to there. I can't do that with you over there. This is where I'm going. You're welcome to come with me. Can I tell you about my Lord and Savior? But I'm not going there where you are. I've already been there. And I know it's vanity. And that's going to pass away. But this is not. And so that's our mindset as we go through life. It's a holy conversation and godliness. Let's look at another passage. I'm talking about holy conversation and godliness. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 7-9. through 9. But refuse profane and old wives' fables and exercise thyself rather <coughs> unto godliness. Do you all remember when we, a few weeks back we were studying in chapter 2 of 2 Peter about the false prophets? And it says they've exercised themselves unto this, this lustful Lifestyle. They exercise. And the exercise, when you look it up, it means they trained or disciplined themselves. Crazy. These false prophets actually exercised themselves unto ungodliness and sinful behavior. They had perfected it. They would honed it like a craft. Okay? How to, how to make merchandise of people. How to twist the Word of God. How to pervert it. How to uh, entice people. It was, it was an exercise in where they actually exercised it and disciplined themselves to do it. But here it tells us as believers, exercise or train or discipline thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profits little. It doesn't say it has no profit, but obviously that's a temporary benefit, right? Bodily exercise profits little. But godliness is profitable unto all things having promise of the life that now is and of the life which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. And so, uh, again, this is not just a preacher trying to convince you of something. It's not one isolated verse. We could look at so many more. Most of the New Testament epistles are telling believers how to live, right? Church life and what life and organization and order within the body of Christ in order in our daily lives. Don't hate it. Don't uh, try to buck out from under it. Submit to the Lord. Submit yourselves therefore to God. And 
let him work in your life. It's the most wonderful, blessed place to be. And so in light of all that's coming, this is the type of man and woman and young person as Christians that we're supposed to be. So you can turn back to um, 2 Peter 3. Let's look at verse 12. This is one sentence that's continuing to go on. What type of persons we ought to be, holy conversation and godliness, looking for. So this is more of how we're to be. Holy, godly, and practice, okay? Looking for, this is what we're to be looking for. The world, the lost world, I promise you, is not looking for what you and I are looking for. That's why they want to save the earth. That's why they want to save the planet. That's why they, they want to, uh, whatever they, they, they want to make, make things so permanent right here. But we're looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. Here's another description of it. We're in the heavens being on fire. <laughs> a lost person is not thinking this. They want to keep this planet going. Let's make it out illegal to have the plastic grocery bags because they get in the oceans and they kill some turtles. And I know that uh, I'm, not, I'm not at all saying that we ought to <coughs> trash things. I'm serious. We ought to be good stewards because God has blessed us with a beautiful earth and creation and I don't think believe in abusing, abusing animals or, or anything like that at all. Okay? So understand that. But at the same time, I'm not living for that. I'm not living for the temporal. I'm living for God. And if I'm really living for God, I'm going to pick up my trash after myself. Okay? And I'm not going to pour my gasoline down in the, the, the outside drainage ditch behind my house five gallons of gas that has gone bad. I'm going to be a good steward of what God's blessed me with. I've got to live here too. And I want to live a quiet and peaceable life on this earth until God does call me home. So, but I, the, the world is not looking for this. And the, he's reminded us one more time. He says, we're looking for the hasting, hasting unto the coming of the day of God where the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. There's a question mark there because that ties way back to what we said, what manner of persons ought you to be, all right? And, and so when it says here that we're looking for and hasting, this is simply, like I said, talking about a Moses, for example. It's a look of faith. I don't see it. I can't see behind the veil and see uh, the mechanics of what's going on in heaven and, and seeing how it's all going to look, you know, and things like that. Like you peek behind us, uh, like you're at a play or something, you look behind the curtain and you see the actors putting their costumes on or building the set or whatever. We just know by faith that this right here is true. Amen. And that our God is true. And he gives us as much as He wants us to know. So I don't have to race with my imagination and try to figure it all out. God will reveal to me what He wants me to know. But what I do know is we can lay hold on what we do know. And we are supposed to lay hold on what we do know. And we need to come, and I need to come. Remember, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. I, you and I need to come to a place, and it's an increasing faith, okay? Where that right there, and this right here, is more real to us than this right here. Where this is more real to us, and orchestrates and governs my life. This hope and this reality is more real to me than that reality right out there. I can't say I'm there yet. I believe it's in incremental 
I believe as we walk with the Lord, I know it is true of all of us to an extent. God wants it to become more real in our lives. You understand what I mean? Where we're forsaken. What a choice Moses made. I mean, he just had it right there in front of him. The, the most prominent person physically on the planet at that time with all the riches and wealth and power and ease and fame and pyramids built in his name and everything else and notoriety that would go with that or to choose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than this for just a little moment. Just a season, okay? Just a season. This is temporary. I mean, this is eternal over here with the Lord. And so when it talks about looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, looking for is that look of faith. And it's actually talking about a joyful expectancy. It's not a dread. I remember when I was in school and like it'd be summer vacation and getting on back to August and you're getting closer and closer. I used to hate it. I used to dread uh, going back to school. And once I got there, it was fine. I was with all my friends, but I did not look forward to going back to school. I knew it was all about. I didn't want to go back. You know, uh, it was not something I looked forward to. And but with the Lord's return, everything about it for the believer is going to be wonderful. There's nothing negative about the end times things for the believer. It starts with the rapture where we receive a new glorified body. How many of you are ready for that? You know what I mean? It starts with that. And then we're going to be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It starts with that. And so there's a joyful expectancy. There's a desiring, a great desire where if somebody, your, your spouse or one of your children or somebody somewhere was a long way off and you were waiting their return and you couldn't wait till they got home just because you loved them and wanted to be with them. And so that's, that's the, the thought. And then all the blessings that go on top of it. And it, when it says that we're hasting, looking for and hasting in verse 12, that the, the, the meaning is not that we can speed it up somehow, that we can haste it and make it happen quicker. Because uh, we can't speed it up or slow it down. It's, God has that, that power. Um, the Bible says, I'll just read it. He, Jesus said unto his disciples in Acts 1 7, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. That's something that's in his own power. He's going to do it in his own time. But the hasting and looking for and hasting is again, we're, we're wishing it was yesterday. We're so excited about it. And we're looking forward to the rapture and being with the Lord and the. The, the time when the, the Lord is all in all, He inhabits, you know, everything is under His rule and authority. Just look at Fox, the news for about 30 seconds. I can't wait for the day when things are under the control and the Lordship and the government of Jesus Christ. Literally. And it's literally going to come. So we ought to be looking for all of this. It's all going to happen. Not at the same moment, but it's, when it's, it's all going to happen. And this is what we're looking for with the joyful expectancy, okay, or expectation. A couple more verses. Um, Hebrews 9.28, I'm going to read it just for time's sake. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. First coming, right? Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him. 
Didn't Peter just say we're looking for and hastening that day? Unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's a, um, the, almost the last passage of the whole Bible, Revelation 22, 20, John says, He which testifieth these things saith, Surely, uh, for the Lord says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. John replies, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Maranatha. He's, what he's saying is, Come Lord. That's what that means, Maranatha. Come Lord Jesus. You know, come quickly. It's like we want you to come. And that's what he's saying here. And that's how the whole Bible ends with that look forward. That look forward, forgetting those things which are behind. We're pressing towards the goal, you know, the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And then in that walk and that pressing, he's just going to take us on. And he'll finish the work that he started in us. And it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. Now, here's something that I think is very exciting and worth looking into for just a few minutes. Verse 13, Nevertheless, we according to His promise. This is the promise of God. Promise of God. What are we looking for? Again, looking. See how He's reminded us this over and over. Look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. I love that Scripture. I love that thought that it brings to my mind and to my heart. Uh, and, and I want you to turn with me if you would, because I want us to read a little passage about what the Bible says about the new heaven and earth. Revelation 21. This is really, if you want to read about it, find out about it, um, you could read the whole chapter. We're going to read a few verses for time's sake. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Right, where is all this talk? Where do we see it? Here it is. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So John's seeing in heaven, you know, what's coming. He got to see forward what's going to be a reality that Peter and the rest, you know, we're looking forward to. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. There's that word again. Not annihilated, but transformed, renewed with fire. And there was no more sea. So here's another description in the new heaven and earth. There's not going to be. Uh, the seas, you know, three-fourths of the earth covered with water and so forth. And I saw, I, John, saw the holy city. What is the holy city? New Jerusalem. Coming down from God out of heaven. It's not the same Jerusalem that's over there in Israel today. Although that's important to God. Okay? He's, this is a new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God that's a dwelling place is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. Is this not awesome? Is this not exciting? There's nothing in history that's, that, that's been that way. There's pictures of it. Remember the tabernacle where God came and Moses would go in and take the veil off and talk to the Lord face to face as a man talks to a man. We see pictures and we see moments of, of, uh, of shadows foreshadowing this. But here's when it's going to really happen. The tabernacle. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And Almighty God's going to be their God and dwell with men. It's going to be an amazing thing. God Himself, and be their God. Let's keep reading. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 
and, and there shall be no more death. No more death, okay? Neither, neither sorrow, no more sorrow, nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write these words, for these words are faithful and true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that thirst, a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. This is what Peter's talking about. He didn't go into this detail. He didn't see all that John saw. But you can put these two together. How should I live now? I should live with a joyful expectancy, living godly and holy in a life that honors God in this life. Okay? But all the while, knowing that this is not my home. You can have it. You can have it. You can have all that's in it because I've already heard by faith and know by faith it's going to be burned up. Not only the earth, but all the works. I mean, people are working today to make a name for themselves, to make a movement or, or whatever, to, to force something down your throat, some new belief system or whatever. It's all going to be burned up. Communism will be burned up. You know, you know what I'm saying? Islam will be burned up. And so, um, and then one more verse in that chapter, all the way to the end, verse 27. And he continues to describe the new heaven and earth. He says in verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. This is another thing that makes it so awesome. <clears throat> there shall in no wise enter into it, that city and the new heaven and earth, anything that defiles, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. <coughs> Hallelujah. And so it's not going to be polluted. The new heaven and earth won't be tainted or polluted. The Bible tells us that uh, death entered the world, sin entered the world by one man and death by sin. And when that was Adam. When he sinned, sin entered into the world through one man's disobedience or willful disobedience to God. And by sin, he introduced death to the world. At that time, the world started in a downward spiral. It's going to be in a downward spiral, spiral until you know all that, that we're reading about. It's going to be destroyed and, and pass away. But it's 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 passing away from one form to another. But none of that's going to ever enter into this new place. It's never going to be tainted by sin. And I can't really imagine it, but we, like I said, I think last week, just to walk down the street or literally watch the news for five seconds or pick up a newspaper and just glance at the front page. Sin, sin, sin. We have to put bars on, and locks on our doors and alarm systems because of sin. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, everything it, uh, is tainted by sin. The weather, you know what I mean? Every disease, death, the hospitals are full because of sin. It was a result of sin. But in this new creation that God has, especially for His people, and it won't be another rise and fall and redemption and all that. It's let him that's holy be holy still. Let him that's just be just still. Let him that's unholy be unholy still. 
There's no more switching after that. Okay? Lost people are lost and they're here forever in a lake of fire forever and ever. And saved people are here forever and ever and they have no crossover and no moving from one to the other and no repentance and moving from here to there and no backsliding and going from here to there or apostasy. It's this state. It's the eternal state of what it's going to be like. And it's going to be awesome. And, and it says, according to His promise. Isn't that what Peter said? According to God's promise. Well, I just want to read one verse where He did promise this. Do you know that where was the promise made of a new heaven and earth beside, besides Second Peter? Isaiah 65, 17. This is good. Isaiah, the Lord showed us Isaiah a lot about the millennial reign. That's where he talks about the lion and the lamb <coughs> laying down together and, and that kind of thing. Uh, that's during the millennial reign where Jesus is reigning and there's real peace on earth. Real peace at that time. But he says, For behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Isaiah 65, 17. It's a wonderful scripture that foretells that. And just in closing, y'all, because I'm not going to go much, much longer at all. In this present age, he talks about um, righteousness. At the end of verse 13, you can turn back to 2 Peter. End of verse 13, he says, A new heaven, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. And I, I was reading this in a commentary and I thought it was pretty, pretty good. The Bible says that in this present age that we live, that grace reigns through righteousness. That's from Romans chapter 5.21. Grace reigns through righteousness. In the millennial reign, which is not the new heaven and earth, but Christ will be on the earth as, as king. In the millennial reign, it says in Isaiah uh, 32.1 that righteousness will reign. So grace reigns through righteousness, it says in, in Romans presently. In the millennium, it says that righteousness will reign through the person of Christ. He'll actually be the king. But in the eternal state, in the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, it says righteousness will dwell. So, I mean, it's just going to, this is where righteousness is going to dwell. And like it'd be, it'd be the habitation of God, like we read. It, it's just um, all very exciting and wonderful what the Lord's going to do. And in that new heaven and new earth with no sin, it's what we have to look forward to. Think about what won't be there. Well, he just mentioned the Lord in, in His Word about nobody that lies or defiles. But I was thinking there, what won't be there, there won't be sin. There won't be evil. There won't be temptation to sin. We wouldn't have a temptation that, oh, I might get weak and and be tempted in this area. No temptation of sin. No carnal nature that could give in to sin. How do I know that? Because the Bible says we see Him, we'll be like Him. For we shall see Him as He, as he is. And everyone that has this hope in Him purifies Himself even as He is pure. And one more passage. Actually, two more passages I want to read. Because in verse 14 in 2 Peter it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of Him in peace without spot and blameless. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but this is just another passage. What is he t He's telling the believer to do something. And this idea today in Christianity that it's all grace and that you have nothing to do, there's no demand put on your life, is false. 
It is all grace. But even under the grace of God, it's not either or. Even with the grace of God, under the grace of God, he puts demands upon the life of the believer. And he says right here, uh, seeing that you look for these things, verse 14, be diligent. That's telling me to be diligent. That ye may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. And so, um, be holy. What manner of person ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? All I'm saying is that don't get caught up in the idea that it's grace or, or obedience to the Lord. It's by His grace I can obey the Lord. But there are many, 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 many things He tells the believer who's already saved in His Word to do. Pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore. Stay from all appearance of evil. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You understand my point is simply that there are many commandments, not in order to be saved, but as a saved man, by His grace, I can walk in that lifestyle. And when I don't, there is grace and mercy and forgiveness. It doesn't change the call. The call <coughs> is to live that way. So I'm forgiven and I get back to business and I walk with God and I obey Him. It's not miserable to me. It's not a life of works to me. It's, this is a wonderful life to live. He's telling me the best way to live for me. Okay? And it brings God glory. And so the last two passages I want to cle- uh, close with. When he, he says, without spot and blameless. It means morally clean. Two scriptures. I mean, two passages. Turn and look at Jude verses 17 through 21. Jude 17 through 21. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers. Does that sound familiar? In the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. And the Bible says if any man has not the Spirit of God, he doesn't belong to God. Okay? But ye beloved, now he's talking about Christians, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. I'm just going to stop there. So, very similar to what Peter's saying in light of the end times things. How do we know it's end times? Because we see the scoffers, the mockers, among other things. Many other signs are being fulfilled as well. But you, beloved, you keep yourselves in the love of God. You keep your eyes upon the Lord. You keep walking with Jesus. Don't let it rattle you. Okay? Don't let it shake you. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And keep walking with Him. And our last passage we'll read, 1 Thessalonians 3. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6-11. Therefore let us not sleep as do others. And we're closing with this little passage. But let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day, that's of the Lord, Okay, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain mercy, obtain salvation, I'm sorry, by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, 
that whether we wake or sleep, as whether we live or die as believers, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. I believe there are believers all over the planet and churches that are having the same heart and sharing the same message. But I also think there's a lot of churches and a lot of uh, services and messages that are not preaching this and not focused on this the way that we all should be in light of the day in which we're living especially. And so I'm thankful that God put that on the, our, our hearts as, as a body that this is what we study right now and that we're studying. And I'm going to close with that. So y'all, let's just stand and take a few moments at these altars. I always encourage you to come to the altars and, and come and meet with the Lord up here and talk to Him and, and just look at yourself in light of what we read. What manner of persons ought you and I to be in all holy conversation and godliness looking for and hasting the coming of the Lord, the day of the Lord? How should that affect my life? And if it's not, if it has not affected my life in that way, then I need to pray about it. So you can't say, well, I don't have anything to pray about. We all need to pray about that. All right? So, Father, we come before you.